You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-cop. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-democracy. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-American. Oh, really? Watch the Republicans try. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Does he have a cold or something? I got the feeling that something ain't right. Joe Biden, you all right? I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. I haven't been reading the news lately. And I'm lately. wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio... In Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, in Palinville, New York, on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet Sunday. Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling-ish edition of the broadcast. It is good-ish to be back uh, after we had to take the day off yesterday. Uh, so we've got a lot to try, at least, to catch up with today. We had hoped our friend Nicole Sandler would be sitting in for us yesterday, but... 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 Hi, Desi. Hi. Uh, as uh, as Nicole told us yesterday morning, she cracked a few ribs over the weekend. Yes. And not barbecue ribs, not the good kind. <laughs> Uh, so, youch, uh, there is not much you can do when that happens, unfortunately, other than try to tough it out. So we are sending our love and our best wishes. And healing vibes. Towards our friend Nikki. Get well soon, please. I uh, actually spoke to her over the weekend, and she was helping before uh, she got hurt. Uh, she was helping her daughter move apartments. She had uh, the humidity down. She said the humidity down in Florida, where she was, was absolutely oppressive as they were trying to make this move, the heat wasn't too bad. Uh, it was, as they say, not the heat, but the humidity. <laughs> Unfortunately, in many places across the country and the world, as we covered in some detail last week, it was either or and both the heat and the humidity uh, in many cases. The south and parts of the Midwest and Northeast have been dealing with oppressive record heat for days on end. Though some areas are finally getting some relief, others like the Northwest are just kicking into gear right now with a heat wave that looks like uh, it's going to break records once again in Seattle and Portland. Uh, didn't they have a deadly heat wave just last summer up yes. there in the Northwest? Yes, so it's coming back around. Everybody buckle up. 
So, I mean, the kind of heat that they're getting in recent years in the Northwest, I mean, it's just unprecedented in that area of the nation that's usually cool and and this time of year. And so many people don't have air condition. So I know we've got a lot of listeners in Oregon and Washington State. So, hey, uh, stay cool, stay hydrated, stay safe, guys. Don't crack any ribs. <laughs> yeah, and, this, and uh, please check on yeah. your vulnerable neighbors and any elderly people that you know, and pets and wild animals can also use some water that's left outside for them during this 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 unprecedented heat Which that is could, pretty much baking everybody. And could be going on for a while, uh, though it can't last forever, so hang in there. I've been in touch with my, uh, my mom in Missouri, where temperatures have been just downright oppressive, going on about two weeks now. This morning, I heard from a listener, Allison, uh, who's also in my old hometown of St. Louis. She writes to me via Bradcast at bradblog.com to say, uh, subject, St. Louis extreme weather. Hi, Brad. It's been around 100 degrees and bone dry in good old St. Louis for about two weeks now. Many areas have been experiencing drought conditions for a while. You know, so these kind of, of, of sustained high temperatures at or above 100 is very not normal Correct. for St. Louis, at least when I grew up there. I mean, we usually get a lot of humidity and rain to go with any heat that we have this time of year. But apparently the heat wave in St. Louis broke today because, as Allison writes, now we've set a record for the most rain in a single day ever recorded in this city. Not just set a record, but shattered it. She says uh, this is from the National Weather Service. All-time daily rainfall record at St. Louis shattered through 7 a.m. 8.06 inches of rainfall has been observed. Apparently this breaks the all-time daily rainfall record uh, established in August of 1915, which apparently was from remnants that day of the Galveston 1915 hurricane. Yeah. At my house, writes Allison, apparently uh, a weather bug. She says, I've recorded 6.3 inches of rain between midnight and 9 a.m., and mm. it's still raining, she writes. Several major interstates were closed this morning. The DeBolivar Metro link station is underwater. We had a flash flood emergency. The Weather Service does not usually issue those unless catastrophic damage and threats to human life are expected. The entire city and parts of the county were under a flash flood emergency overnight. This isn't normal, she writes. I hate to say it, but it may now be, Allison. The new normal. Yep. Thanks to climate change. Yep. Uh, she writes, uh, she concludes, how can Republicans continue to say climate change is a hoax? They pretend to be the party of, quote, family values, but they obviously couldn't care less about the future of their own children. Hope you and Desi are doing well. Allison, by the way, uh, fewer and fewer of them are now saying it's a hoax. I think Donald Trump may still be saying that. But uh, we were talking this morning, Des, that uh, the denialism has been sort of replaced with delayism. Outright denial, as in it's a hoax, yeah. has now been replaced by delayism. Yes, anything that they can say or do that delays any kind of progress whatsoever so that you continue to give all your money to the fossil fuel industry. 
By the way, the uh, National Weather Service is also warning that uh, similar downpours and flash floodings is now on deck from Kansas to West Virginia, Virginia to uh, Tennessee all this week. So be careful out there. More uh, related climate news a bit later in Desi Doyen's latest Green News report where... Well, uh, not normal is now apparently quite normal indeed just about everywhere. And it ain't just due to coincidence and bad luck, as <laughs> scientists are now detailing very, very clearly. We'll get to that a bit, a little bit later. In election-related news, some follow-up today to last week's statewide primary elections in Maryland, where Trump-endorsed insurrection-promoting 2020 election denier Dan Cox was announced the winner of the gubernatorial nomination on the Republican side as he defeated a more establishment uh, ally of Maryland's current popular Republican governor, Larry Hogan, in an otherwise very blue state. But the 10-person race for the Democratic nomination uh, in Maryland for governor had not yet been called at the uh, at week's end last week uh, for one reason, because Maryland does not allow election officials to begin processing mail ballots until the Thursday after the Tuesday election day for some reason. But over the weekend, uh, AP made their call in the Democratic primary for governor, which means everyone else tends to call it as well. Best-selling author Wes Moore won the Democratic primary for Maryland governor, according to AP, setting up a general election contest against Republican Dan Cox, a hardline conservative endorsed by former President Donald Trump. Yeah, conservative. You know, the way conservatives call for stuff (laughs) like overthrowing the American form of government and the Constitution itself. You know, conservative. Right, AP? You know, it's okay to say right wing. It's even okay to say extremist when the person that you are informing the electorate about happens to be an extremist who, you know, bust people to the January 6, 2021 insurrection in cahoots with a sitting president of the United States hoping to steal a presidential election and throw thousands of armed insurrectionists at the Capitol in hopes of doing exactly that. But anyway... AP. You digress. Uh, I do. Uh, Moore uh, is the author of the African-American, uh, a former CEO of an anti-poverty nonprofit who, with the help of Oprah Winfrey's endorsement, defeated a long list of other high-profile Democrats, including Tom Perez, the former U.S. Labor Secretary and former Democratic National Committee chair as well as a uh, well-known state uh, comptroller uh, who's been in office for years and years. Moore will be the strong favorite in the November election against Cox, AP writes, uh, who they describe now as a, quote, right-wing member, thank you, AP, of the Maryland House of Delegates, whose extreme brand of politics, again, thank you, AP, is considered a liability in a heavily Democratic state. The twice-elected centrist Republican Governor Larry Hogan Moore would be the state's first black governor if elected. So AP is happy to call him a right-wing member and has an extreme brand of politics. Why don't they just call him a right-wing extremist right at the top of the article, since it's true instead of calling him a conservative, which is false. Now, Moore may be the favorite 
On the other hand, if Cox is elected, who has said he would not have certified Joe Biden's win in the state back in 2020, uh, had he been governor at the time when Biden defeated Trump by more than 33 points, but Dan Cox would not have certified it, 65 to 32 was the final results of the 2020 election in Maryland in Joe Biden's favor. You know, if that guy wins, all bets may be if he wins in 2022, all bets may be off for 2024. Now, as uh, so-called blue as Maryland tends to be in presidential elections, they also do have a habit of electing Republicans statewide for governor. So Maryland voters, you know, the only the fate of the world is, uh, you know, Counting on you this November, just as we are also counting on voters in Pennsylvania to defeat another Trump endorsed 2020 election denier and insurrectionist organizer. And yes, by the way, fake electors organizer, as we have learned in some breaking news today that I will get to uh, Doug Mastriano is the Republican nominee in uh, in Pennsylvania in the Keystone State this November if he wins in 2022, ask yourself what that means for the 2024 election when a governor must certify the state's electoral votes. Anyway, we will get to Mastriano's role on the fake electors shortly, as that is just breaking today. But yeah, point is, these elections really, really matter this year. I know everyone says that every year is the most important election of our lifetimes, et cetera, et cetera. Seriously. This year, that is once again very true. So please do what you can to pass this message along to folks uh, you know who do not listen to the broadcast because turnout really matters this November on a whole bunch of level, levels, as I think we've been making pretty clear on this program, from governor's races to state legislatures to uh, both the House and the Senate on everything from Roe v. Wade to action on our climate emergency to any possibility of expanding the Supreme Court to, frankly, what Republicans will or won't be able to do in order to steal the 2024 election, where they were unable to do so in 2020. And I just I can't say that enough, but I suspect I will try <laughs> You know, don't count on me. This is up to you. This is up to you to, you know, be a Brad with everyone you know and annoy the hell out of them just the way I annoy the hell out of you. Well, helping people remember that, yes, there is an election in what, a little over 100 days from now. Yep. And yes, we have to mobilize as many people as possible because, yeah, the Republican Party is uh, is openly plotting to steal the 2024 election. 105 days, but who's counting <laughs> until that next election? Uh, just one state is holding elections this week. On Tuesday, voters in North Carolina are heading to the polls for runoffs across the state there. Unlike most states that uh, have runoffs, uh, when no candidate you know gets more than 50 percent in a primary in North Carolina, they only hold runoffs when no candidate gets more than 30 percent of the vote. So there are not nearly as many runoffs, uh, particularly for high profile races. The uh, runoffs there on Tuesday are largely for municipal races across the state. 
The runoffs will include 10 municipality races, two boards of election, board of, uh, of education elections. At least two counties, Graham and Wake County, will have races for sheriff. The biggest races include mayoral and city council contests in Charlotte, Fayetteville and Greensboro. In the 2020 election, Republicans won the majority of congressional and legislative seats in North Carolina by very narrow margins. Former President Trump won North Carolina by just 1.35 percent in uh, in the election in 2020, making it his most narrow win in any state. So North Carolina, uh, especially with a gerrymandered state legislature and House delegation and a Democratic governor in the uh, in the governor's mansion. Well, it continues to be a very closely divided state, which means it is eminently winnable. For pro-democracy Democrats against anti-democracy or pro-autocracy Republicans, it's also eminently winnable for those pro-autocracy Republicans. In November, North Carolina will uh, decide 14 seats in the House of Representatives, most of which are currently held by Republicans, thanks to gerrymandering, uh, and one U.S. Senate seat on uh, May 17. In those primaries in North Carolina, Sherry Beasley won the Democratic nomination for the Senate seat. She'll face off against the Trump-endorsed 2020 election-denying Republican Congressman Ted Budd uh, for that Senate seat being vacated by Republican Richard Burr. There's a bunch of uh, races in a bunch of states next Tuesday. Uh, with state legislative races being held in Ohio under a highly contested state legislative map that I believe the state Supreme Court has now declared to be unconstitutional about three or four times now. So that should be interesting. And uh, statewide elections for Congress and much more in Arizona, Kansas, Michigan, my old home state of Missouri and Washington state. If you've uh, yet to make your voting plans in any of those states, well, now is a really good time to do so. Uh, I haven't heard of any voting problems so far today in the low turnout North Carolina runoffs. But if you listen to the show, you know that I frequently caution that we uh, that we don't hear about voting system problems frequently until days or weeks, months, even longer after elections. Well, I've got a story on that today which actually was published late last week when we were in the middle of, well, take your pick, climate meltdowns, <laughs> January 6th hearings. Yes. But this story actually makes my case on the matter that, yeah, sometimes it takes a while for this stuff to come to light. This story follows up on the June 28 primary election in Illinois, almost a full month ago. Uh, and reported uh, just last week by the Rockford Register Star. Winnebago County Clerk Lori Gumow says her office will keep an extra close watch on the results in the November 8 general election, just over 100 days from today, to avoid the glitch that affected referendum questions on 20. 1,000 ballots in the June primary. A glitch on 20,000 ballots? That's quite a glitch. Pretty big glitch, huh? It, get, it gets better. Gumow said the 
snafu <laughs> was caused by a formatting error made by uh, made before the ballots were printed. Now, thankfully, they use hand-marked paper ballots in the county of Winnebago, and you'll see why that was so important here. Uh, she said the error was not detected before the June 28 primaries because the test ballot passed a pre-printing test and did not show any issues. And apparently they did not bother to fully test after receiving the final printed ballots back from the printer. On the evening of June 28, Gumau said election judges alerted her that some of the results in the referendums did not appear correct. After equipment and supplies came back to the clerk's office the next day, she and her staff looked at the results and noticed something was off. The numbers showed that every referendum passed by 90 percent or higher. That does seem unusual. That echoed the uh, judge's concerns. Gumau said we were perplexed because everything ran perfectly during the pretest, you know, the test of the ballots they mocked up before they were actually sent to the printer to be printed. Gumau said she figured out what was wrong when she compared a test ballot created before the ballots were actually printed at the printer with one that was handed out at the polls. She said the ballots where the referendums were were not the same. Gumau said after the test, before the ballot went to the printers, the county's vendor apparently changed the font in the referendum section that caused certain words to drop down to the next line making the optical scan tabulators unable to correctly tabulate the results. The circles on the page moved down so they were not read accurately by the computer. In other words, uh, the computer was programmed to see votes on a certain line, a certain location on the page, but there was no circle that was filled in there because the circle had been moved down to a line below, so the scanner did not see the voters' selection in that, in that referendum race. After verifying the errors, the, uh, the error, the uh, supplier uh, rewrote the tabulator code to uh, match the actual way the ballots were printed, and Gummo's office then reran every county ballot in a county-owned high-speed tabulator. So because they used paper ballots where they knew that the voter had meant to vote uh, in a particular way, even if it didn't line up with the computer tabulators as they were originally programmed, they were still able to reprogram the computers to count the ballots as actually voted by the voters. Had a similar problem occurred with the touchscreen system, this story might have ended very differently. Ballots from four precincts representing all of the referendum questions were then also counted by hand, she said, just for safety. Members of the Democratic and Republican parties, along with members of the state's attorney's office, witnessed the entire process in an open tally the way this sort of thing should happen, which, by the way, is decidedly different, for example, from the secret clown show that was carried out by those cyber ninjas back in Arizona after the 2020 presidential election where they were pretending to do a hand recount but allowed nobody to actually nobody in the public to actually follow along with whatever cockamamie fake counting that they were doing 
Gumau said, we made sure we ran every ballot just to double check. They re-ran every ballot just to double check. Election day, early voting, vote by mail. Adding that the county uh, counted 904 early ballots and 607 mail-in ballots in the primary as well. After the recount, a property tax referendum that was initially reported as approved by 90 percent actually failed with 67 percent of the residents voting no. Mm. And again, thank God for hand marked paper ballots in this case. Uh, because the uh, change to the font that threw everything off, apparently, occurred on the bottom of the ballot where the referendums were printed. There were no races involving candidates that were said to be affected by the error, according to Gumau. She declined to give the name of the vendor responsible for the glitch that affected 20 thousand people, but said that she's uh, never experienced a problem with them in the past. She said it was also the first time the company has ever made a mistake like this. She said a rep from the company assured there would be no issues come November. Everything will be fine, not to worry. <laughs> but thank God they had hand-marked paper ballots. She said also because this was a primary, there were probably 200 different ballot styles in her own defense. She said you had your Republican, Democrat, precinct committee men, uh, that's a lot to proof. We know by November we won't have all of those. And he's assured me there would be some staff changes coming from that uh, company. So it sounds like someone's getting fired. But because, you know, Gumau doesn't say who the company is, uh, who did the printing, uh, for some reason, it's it's harder to check that. In any event, she said uh, that um, she and the voters will make sure after the ballot is tested and printed and approved in November that there are no changes before it is sent to the printer. I might suggest she tests it when it comes back from the printer. <laughs> That's just me. I suspect she will. The uh, June 28 election results were certified on July 12. Gumau said there were no other issues. The certification process functioned as designed, if only to allow this problem to be discovered and managed as per the votes of the voters. So hopefully everything is right. It sounds like it is. She said the machines were doing what they were supposed to do. There was no voter fraud. Nobody was trying to do anything wrong. This is why we have two weeks to certify an election, she said. And the paper Roxford Register Star goes on to give the date of the 2022 general election as Tuesday, November 8, which is correct. Though in the very first line of the story, where I actually uh, corrected it when reading it to you the first mm -hmm. time, they described the general election this year as coming on December uh, on tu on Tuesday, November six, which is not the right day. Not the right date. It's better, November eight. Better proofreaders needed in Northern Illinois all all around. I think. Anyway, there you go. Let's take a quick break. We will come back with, uh, boy, things are moving quickly now. At least it seems to me. I know it probably feels like it's taking forever because it is taking forever. But things are moving quickly now in the uh, January 6th investigation of Donald Trump and his attempts to steal the 2020 presidential election. That was no mistake. That was no proofreading error. Breaking news on that and more straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast.
Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. We are still fighting right here on the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for the fight. Now, I had hoped to cover uh, this new video that was put out by January uh, January 6th committee member Congresswoman Elaine Luria on Monday in which a whole bunch of Trump aides, including his daughter Ivanka, his son-in-law Jared, top attorneys at the White House, they all offer more details on the remarks that Trump made, the videotape remarks that Trump made to the nation on January 7th. The day after his insurrection, as the cabinet members were talking about possibly exercising the 25th Amendment to remove him from office. And this video that Luria put out uh, regarded the specific remarks that were written for him that he refused to say. Uh, as you know by now, based on that never before seen raw footage that the J6 committee played last week, Trump had refused to say stuff like the election is over, just wouldn't say it, and that, you know, anybody who broke the law on January 6th would go to jail, just did not want to say that on the videotape. But this video that Luria put out also showed that he would not say that he was, quote, sickened, unquote, by the violence. She had a copy of the remarks as written. He also cut two sentences saying, I am directing the Department of Justice to ensure all lawbreakers are prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. He didn't even want to say that. He crossed it right out. We must send a clear message, not with mercy, but with justice. Legal consequences must be swift and firm. He removed all of that from his remarks on January 7. He took all of it out. In reference to, quote, those who engaged in acts of violence, he removed the part which said, You do not represent me. You do not represent our movement because, of course, they do represent him and Mm -hmm. they represent his movement. And where it said uh, you belong in jail, he changed it to you will pay in his own handwriting, as confirmed by his own daughter on that speech. But as that was covered by a lot of people yesterday and there is now this new breaking news from New York Times this afternoon on the fake electors plot, I want to be sure to get to this today. Uh, in detail. It's all moving quite quickly, as I said. <clears throat> Thanks in no small part, by the way, to the January 6th committee, frankly. So, this from Maggie Haberman and Luke Broadwater at the New York Times on Tuesday afternoon. Previously, undisclosed emails provide an inside look at the increasingly desperate and often slapdash efforts by advisors to President Donald J. Trump to reverse his election defeat. In the weeks before the January 6th attack, they mean to steal the presidential election in the weeks before the January 6th attack, including acknowledgments that a key element of their plan was of dubious legality and lived up to its billing as, quote, fake. 
the dozens of emails among people connected to the Trump campaign, outside advisors and close associates of Trump show a particular focus on assembling lists of people who would claim with no basis to be electoral college electors on his behalf in battleground states that he had lost. In emails reviewed by The New York Times and authenticated by people who had worked with the Trump campaign at the time, one lawyer involved in the detailed discussions repeatedly used the word fake to refer to the so-called electors. They knew they were fake electors. That's what they called them. They were intended to provide Vice President Mike Pence and Trump's allies in Congress a rationale for derailing the congressional process of certifying the outcome on January 6th. And lawyers working on the proposal made clear that they knew that the pro-Trump electors that they were putting forward might not hold up to legal scrutiny. So, yes, even they knew this plan was to come up with fake electors, and yet they went through it through with it anyway. Quote, we would just be sending in fake electoral votes to Pence so that, quote, someone in Congress can make an objection when they start counting votes and start using and start arguing that the fake votes should be counted. So that's not a rationale. That's a pretext. Jack- I mean, a rationale has got to have something behind it. This is just a made up idea in order to say we've got to have some kind of pretext. Which they knew. Jack yep. Willencheck uh, wrote that. He's a Phoenix-based lawyer who helped organized the pro-Trump electors in Arizona, the pro-Trump fake electors in Arizona. Uh, He wrote that in uh, a December 8, 2020 email to Boris Epstein, a strategic advisor for the Trump campaign and a regular pro-Trump propagandist on local TV stations around the country owned by this company named this right wing, far right wing company named Sinclair, which pretend to be regular TV news outlets instead of pro Trump. Yes, fake news outlets putting on guys like Boris Epstein as if he is some sort of a political expert or a pundit when actually he literally works for Donald Trump. In a follow-up email, Mr. Willencheck wrote that alternative votes is probably a better term than fake votes. He added a smiley face emoji. So insurrection, tyranny, autocracy, and the uh, overthrow of the American government, but with a smile... (laughs) Uh, he wrote, PPS, alternative alternative votes is probably a better term than fake votes, smiley. Also, it sounds like Kelly Ward and the rest of the electors. Now, Kelly Ward is the head of the Republican Party in Arizona. She's a crazy lady. Anyway, sounds like Kelly Ward and the rest of the electors would be very much into the idea. Kelly's uh, thought is to try to keep it under wraps until Congress counts the vote on January 6th so we can try to, quote, surprise the Dems and the media with it. I tend to agree with her, he wrote. The emails provide new details of how a wing of the Trump campaign worked with outside lawyers and uh, advisors to organize the elector plan and to pursue a range of other options at the same time. The emails show that participants in the discussions reported details of their activities to Rudy Giuliani, Trump's personal lawyer at the time, and in at least one case to Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff. So, yes, 
This went all the way to the top. This went all the way to the White House and directly to Donald Trump through Giuliani, through Meadows. Around the same time, according to the House committee investigating January 6th, Meadows emailed another campaign advisor saying, quote, we just need to have someone coordinating the electors for states. So Meadows knew this was all being done. This is all be- Donald Trump's chief of staff knew this was all being done, was recommending, hey, let's just get a coordinator in each of the states to handle each of these fake electors. Many of the emails went to Mr. Epstein, who was acting as a coordinator for people inside and outside the Trump campaign and the White House. He also remains a close aide to Donald Trump even now. Epstein, the email show, uh, was a regular point of contact for John Eastman. He's the rogue lawyer who's planned for derailing the certification of the Electoral College results on January uh, 6th, was embraced by Trump. Epstein not only fielded and passed along to Giuliani the detailed proposals for January 6th that was prepared by Eastman, he also handled questions about how to pay Eastman and made the arrangements for him to visit the White House on January 4 of 2021, according to these emails. So everyone was in on it. Everyone knew about it. Everybody knew it was fake. Nobody put the brakes on this illegal scheme to try and steal a presidential election. Nobody except, I guess, Mike Pence. Case closed, Mr. Attorney General. January 4, that uh, day that they worked to get Eastman to the White House, that was the day of the Oval Office meeting in which Trump and Eastman unsuccessfully pressured Pence to adopt this plan, an exchange that was witnessed by Pence's two top aides, both Mark Short, uh, I believe his his uh, chief of staff, and Greg Jacob, his top attorney, both of whom have now we have now learned have testified last week to a federal grand jury that is investigating all of this, investigating the assault on the Capitol and what led to it. So, yes, the Department of Justice is moving forward. They are, it seems, very high up in that they are now the federal grand jury is uh, subpoenaing the chief of staff to the vice president and the top uh, attorney for the vice president. The emails highlight how much of the legwork of finding ways to challenge Trump's losses in the battleground states was done by a guy named Mike Roman, who was the director of Election Day operations for the Trump campaign. Epstein and Roman, according to the emails, coordinated with others who played roles in advising Trump, among them GOP lawyers like Jenna Ellis, uh, Bruce Marks, Gary Michael Brown, uh, and Christina Bob. Remember that name by any chance? That sounds familiar. She uh, worked during all the the, the, well, during the election and the post-election period for the One America News Network, which is another fake right wing news outlet. And she now works, of course, for Trump's PAC. Everyone was in on it. Well, everyone, uh, you know, except uh, the uh, White House Counsel's Office, apparently, the emails were apparently not shared with the lawyers at the White House. They advised that the fake electors plan was not legally sound. The House committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol has produced evidence that Trump was aware of the electors plan. Ronna McDaniel, that's Ronna 
Romney McDaniel, the chair of the RNC, said in a deposition to the January 6th panel that uh, Trump had called her and put Eastman on the phone, quote, to talk about the importance of the RNC helping the campaign gather these contingent electors. So they went from fake electors to alternative electors to contingent electors. Well, that sounds much better. <laughs> just, just a contingency, just in case. We're not doing anything wrong here, you know. Let's keep it totally secret until the very last minute, just in case. But other than that, you know, we're not doing anything wrong with our fake, I mean, alternative, I mean, contingent electors. Uh, Will in check the uh, the Phoenix attorney wrote on uh, in the email in an email on uh, December 8 to Epstein and half a dozen other people describing the idea being pushed by a guy named Ken Cheesebro. An associate of Eastman's, uh, he's the one apparently came up with this uh, fake electors idea. Quote, his idea is basically that all of us, Georgia, Wisconsin, Arizona, Pennsylvania, etc., have our electors send in their votes, even though the votes aren't legal under federal law because they're not signed by the governor. He says that in the email. So that members of Congress can then fight about whether they should be counted on January 6th. All so that they could have, you know, something to give the appearance that there was some sort of doubt about the results of the election that they all knew were never in doubt in the least. It was all a show to help somehow, some way, overthrow the American government to steal a presidential election. And they knew that it was unlawful. The votes, he writes in the email, to all of these people aren't legal under federal law. But let's do it anyway so that Congress has something to fight about, to pretend that there is some controversy on January 6th. The members of Congress, the email continued, could potentially argue that they're not bound by federal law because they're they're Congress and they make the law, etc. Kind of wild slash creative. I'm happy to discuss. Willenchek continued. <laughs> I, I hope somebody today is writing a complaint to the Arizona Bar Association about this guy recommending this unlawful scheme. I'm knowing he be disbarred. Yeah. Yeah. Add him to the list. He says, uh, for example, we would just be sending in, quote, fake Elector, electoral votes to Pence so that, quote, someone in Congress can make an objection when they start counting votes and start arguing that the, quote, fake votes should be counted. That's in the email. That's what he wrote. That was the plan. As they organized the fake elector scheme, lawyers appointed a point person in seven states to uh, help organize those electors who were willing to sign their names to false documents. In Pennsylvania, I meant I gave you a teaser about this earlier. In Pennsylvania, any guess who that point person is? No. Douglas V. Mastriano. He was the point person. He's a proponent of Trump's lie that the uh, election was stolen and now the Republican nominee for governor in Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano. He was in charge of the fake electors. He was not just uh, part of this uh, scheme. He did not just, you know, bring busloads of people to uh, D.C. He was actually organizing this fake electors plot that they knew was illegal in Pennsylvania. And now he's running for governor. And if he wins, 
Pennsylvania, the electors in Pennsylvania will have to have his signature to be sent to Washington, D.C. He's already said he would not have certified the 2020 election had he been governor at the time. Yes, the 2022 election really matters. Hello, Pennsylvania. The emails uh, showed the group initially hoped to get Republican state legislators or governors to join the plan. But by December, it was clear no, none of the authorities would go along. So the Trump lawyers set their sights to pressure Mike Pence, who was scheduled to provi- preside over the joint session of Congress on January 6. The documents also demonstrated the legal team had relied on widely debunked information to point to broad claims of election fraud Claims that they already knew were fraudulent, fraudulent claims about voter fraud and so forth. And uh, even though uh, the lawyers were aware that their legal efforts were being ridiculed, for example, uh, one of them wrote, uh, quote, you folks are getting killed in the media on litigation strategy, even on Fox and among conservatives. Nonetheless, they were undeterred as they try to pull off this plan. Of course, there is... uh, uh, so that's the big January 6th story breaking on Tuesday. And there is, of course, much more going on at the same time. The Secret Service agents, Tony Ornato and Bobby Engel, who allegedly were the ones who told Mark Meadows' uh, top aide at the White House, Cassidy Hutchinson, about Trump's scheme to Trump's attempt to grab the wheel of the presidential limo to make them take him to the Capitol after he gave his speech at the Ellipse on January 6th, before he then grabbed, reportedly, allegedly grabbed Engel by the throat. Engel was the head of, uh, of Trump's Secret Service detail. Those guys are now lawyering up. You'll recall after Hutchinson gave her testimony, some anonymous source came through uh, and said, oh, the entire story was not true. Everyone in the corporate media picked up on it as if it was accurate, as if, oh, look, we caught Cassidy Hutchinson making something up. That anonymous source said that, uh, you know, the Secret Service would soon testify or Nato and Engel would tell the committee the truth about what really happened. <laughs> well, now... They're lawyering up instead. They're not coming and giving uh, a testimony to the uh, uh, to, to the January 6th committee. They are lawyering up. In the meantime, what a surprise. A, a D.C. Metro cop has confirmed that, yes, there was some sort of confrontation that day in the presidential limo. And the committee has now signaled that uh, when they return in September, they're likely to focus much more on the Secret Service and the January 5 and 6 text messages that have all disappeared now for some reason. So that's some of what we can look forward to in season two of the January 6 committee hearings. In the meantime, uh, several days after testing positive for COVID-19, President Joe Biden's health status is said to be quickly improving, at least according to the White House. If you believe them and uh, physician Kevin O'Connor. But of course, what are they going to say? Biden looks terrible. Don't think he's going to make it. (laughs) Nonetheless, uh, they said that his symptoms are now almost completely resolved, saying he only has some residual nasal congestion and minimal hoarseness. Well, turns out that may be true. He looked uh, he looked pretty good, even if he sounded like he was a bit hoarse and congested at least based on pre-recorded video remarks from the White House that were uh, made by Biden on Monday when he took aim directly at President Trump's inaction as the Capitol insurrection unfolded on January 6th, saying that uh, law enforcement suffered through medieval hell during the attacks. 
The president criticized Trump as he concluded remarks that were delivered virtually to a conference in Florida for black law enforcement officials. Uh, This was on Monday with Biden noting that law enforcement was relied upon on January 6th to, quote, save our democracy. Every day we rely on law enforcement to save lives. Then on January 6th, we relied on law enforcement to save our democracy. We saw what happened. The Capitol Police, the D.C. Metropolitan Police, other law enforcement agencies were attacked and assaulted before our very eyes, speared, sprayed, stomped on, brutalized, and lives were lost. And for three hours, the defeated former president of the United States watched it all happen as he sat in the comfort of the private dining room next to the Oval Office. While he was doing that, brave law enforcement officer subject to the medieval hell for three hours, dripping in blood, surrounded by carnage. Face to face with crazed mob that believed the lies of the defeated president. The police were heroes that day. Donald Trump lacked the courage to act. The brave women and men in blue all across this nation should never forget that. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-cop. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-democracy. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-American. There can be no greater responsibility than to do all we can to ensure the safety of our families, our children, our community, our nation, and our law enforcement officers. I will always meet that duty, just as you do every single day as members of a critically important organization. Sounds good with COVID, doesn't he? (laughs) He does. (laughs) Sounds like he means it. Uh, Anyway, that was President Biden on Monday saying you can't be pro-insurrection and pro-cop. Although I would disagree with his choice to say that Trump lacked the courage to act because I think Trump absolutely had the courage to act if he wanted to. He didn't want to. He didn't want to. He was using that time to further direct his coup. Lock him up. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. So the final mount was nine, nine inches? Yes, so that record one-day rainfall total in St. Louis. I looked up the final record from Mm -hmm. the National Weather Service in St. Louis, and they said it's a record nine inches of rain in a single day, which uh, obliterates uh, the previous record. Nelly, just to be clear, that's St. Louis, Missouri, since we have uh, people in uh, St. Louis uh, County, Michigan, uh, Minnesota. (laughs) True. (sighs) St. Louis, Missouri. Yes. There we go. Uh, All right. Yeah, it's bad. It's all getting worse, but it's all just becoming normal now, as discussed in our latest Green News report. Just in the past 48 hours, the Oak Fire has exploded in size. State of emergency declared over new fire near Yosemite National Park. The unprecedented, previously unprecedented, is now becoming routine. 
Simultaneous global heat waves are now six times more frequent, thanks to global warming. Thanks, global warming. Plus, new study quantifies just how much climate damage rich nations have caused to poor ones. All of that damage and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. According to CBS News, brutal and dangerous temperatures were felt from California to Massachusetts. Okay, CBS News, just say America. Yep, this is your Green News Report. That's like telling your partner, hey, before we get intimate, I should warn you, I have this little rash from my right toe to my left ear. Okay, Desi Doyen, yeah, it has been incredibly hot across, well, much of the entire country over the past few days, yes. although it is beginning to cool down a bit in some of those places. That said, what do you got for us today? Well, California Governor Gavin Newsom has declared a state of emergency, unlocking more federal support to help defray the costs of battling a new, fast-moving wildfire near Yosemite National Park that exploded in size over the weekend. That's different than the one last week that was threatening those giant sequoias yes. in Yosemite? Yes, it's a new, different one, and the sequoias so far are okay. Good. State Fire Agency Cal Fire says the new Oak Fire is exhibiting, quote, really unprecedented fire behavior. Bad. And in just 48 hours became the state's largest wildfire so far this year, burning out of control through tender, dry forests amid an historic drought and intense heat. It has forced the evacuation of at least 6,000 people in the surrounding areas at the height of the summer tourist season. The simultaneous record-setting extreme heat waves engulfing the northern hemisphere for weeks at a time this summer are causing massive crop losses. In Italy, the heat and drought have hammered the rice crop in some regions, especially concerning because Italy produces more than half of all the rice in Europe. Worse, Italy's mighty Po River is drying up, in turn allowing salt water from the Adriatic Sea to push an unprecedented 18 miles inland. Really? both crops and drinking water supplies, as CBS News reports. Rodolfo Laurenti works for the local water authority, which closely monitors the flow and salinity of water in the Po Delta. The moment of real climate crisis, he says, is 2022. Wait, that's right now. And now, new research concludes that multiple concurrent global heat waves are now occurring six times more frequently than they did in the past due to human-caused global warming. In an interview with PBS, climate scientist Dr. Michael Mann explains that global warming has raised the baseline temperature of the planet and mounting evidence indicates that warming in the Arctic is slowing down the northern hemisphere jet stream that drives weather systems. And what's happening is those systems are getting stuck in place. So the extreme heat that we've seen, the floods, the wildfires, the drought across the entire northern hemisphere this summer, part of what's going on is this sort of stuck jet stream pattern. It is something that we think is being made more frequent because of climate change. I recall speaking with Dr. Mann about exactly that some years ago on the broadcast. Has climate change just messed up all of our weather patterns? He said it looks like that could be the case. It was before he actually did a study confirming that, yeah, 
That looks like it is the case. And meanwhile, a new study has quantified just how much economic damage rich nations have caused in climate harm to poorer nations. Because industrialized nations have been emitting greenhouse gases for decades longer than poorer ones, researchers from Dartmouth University calculate that the world's five leading emitters of greenhouse gases have caused $6 trillion in global economic losses since 1990 from warming impacts caused by their emissions. The analysis finds the United States, the top historical emitter of all time, has caused nearly $2 trillion in climate damages to other countries since 1990. We're number one. In other news, estimates of gasoline spilled from the Colonial Pipeline into a North Carolina nature preserve back in 2020 have been revised upwards again. In a legal settlement with the state, Colonial admits that the spill wasn't 64,000 gallons as originally estimated, but was actually 2 million gallons, eight times larger, and may have been leaking for three weeks undetected. We always tell you that when you hear about an oil spill, it will always be larger than the oil companies try to tell you at the beginning. In the state settlement, Colonial will pay less than $5 million in fines. Well, the cost of doing business. For what is now the largest inland pipeline spill in U.S. history. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. They do that. They always lie about uh, the, the original oil spill. Yeah, they gas always spill, Whatever it is, they always do. Absolutely. Uh, from bad to worse, indeed. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, for another uh, 57 minutes of what must be the most dense news, <laughs> densely packed news hour you'll find anywhere on your public airways. Your news hour on the environment all crammed into six minutes? Yeah. Oh, well, that? No, but I meant the entire show. Oh, that too. Okay. Oh, yeah, there was. There was those other 50 minutes I know you weren't paying attention to. Anyway, all right, we have to get out. My thanks to our producer, Tessie Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, where we have no paywall Thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. Dense or not, or whether Desi Doyne's paying attention or not. You can also uh, send me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. You spit